Welcome into the Daily Illini Sports Podcast. I'm Josh Peach with Carson Gordy, and we're joined today by Kennington Smith, uh, Iowa beat reporter from the Des Moines Register. Thanks for being here, Kennington. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so what's it been like, you know, covering Kirk Ferentz and the Hawkeyes this year and what seems to be a down year for the Hawkeyes? Yeah, it's been um, it's been pretty turbulent, to, to say the least. There was a lot of excitement coming into the season. I mean, Iowa sold out their home game schedule for the first time and I believe over 10 years there was a lot of anticipation about what the team would look like obviously you knew the defense was going to be very good you felt good about the special teams the question would be what will the offense look like and there are a lot of conversations in the offseason about subtle changes and quarterback competitions and how it could look a lot different and here we are five weeks later and not only has the offense not made steps forward, you can make the case that they've made um, steps backward. I mean, they're even lower than where they were last year in terms of yards per game, the amount of points that they're scoring and just how the entire offense is functioning. So it's been up and down. I think that fans are looking at this game this weekend as a swing game for the season. Either Iowa wins the game and they are firmly in the mix for the, the Big Ten West title or they lose the game and you have Ohio State post by week and things can kind of spiral out of control quickly. So it's been up and down, but there is a little bit of time to, to salvage the season. And I think that little bit of hope is what fans are clinging to right now. So coming into the year, did you ever expect to be three and a half point underdogs going into this week in Champaign? <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I didn't expect that to, to be the case. I mean, I thought Iowa would be a good team. I didn't think that they would beat. I didn't think – I think three and two is probably a record that was conceivable, but the way that they've gotten here has been really unexpected. Going to the, to the first game against South Dakota State, barely squeaking that out, and then they lose a really close one to Iowa State. And they, they've had a few wins along the way, but it still has not been convincing enough to where – there's a lot of faith in the fan base that this team is going to be able to string together wins and, and make something out of out of this season. So I definitely didn't think they would be underdogs to Illinois. It's funny, me and my co-writer, um, Chad Lysico, we, we ranked our opponent. We ranked Iowa's opponents in terms of difficulty. I don't know where I had Illinois on that list. I would imagine I had them somewhere in the bottom half. Uh, this is um, definitely a team that has exceeded my expectations for sure. I'm sure y'all can say the same. And this is a game that Iowa absolutely has to have on Saturday. Yeah. And if you look at uh, Spencer Petras, you know, less than 200 yards, you know, the first four games. But in the last game against Michigan, you look at the stats, it was 246 yards. Is that service level stats or were you encouraged by Spencer's performance uh, compared to other weeks? Yeah, I think that these last two weeks, he's looked much better. I think that the both the interesting and I guess disappointing part, if you're a fan, is the bar has been set so low that 246 yards and no turnovers is by far his best game of the season. And it's something that you would almost have to live with. So I definitely think he took steps forward. I think that his decision-making has gotten to be a little bit better. There have been accuracy problems, and his footwork is something that he he constantly speaks on as something that hinders his his ability to deliver accurate passes. I think he's been better the last two weeks, but you know, truthfully, the way that Illinois plays defense and how they're going to sell out to stop Iowa's run, I feel like this is going to be a game that is going to fall on his shoulders, which if you're an Iowa fan, that gives you a lot of anxiety. 
But Petras is a, is a fifth year guy in the program, and this is his third year starting. And I like if there was ever a moment that you need to put it on your your starting quarterback's shoulders, it would be a game like this. So if you can kind of stack those weeks consecutively and, and have a good game against Illinois, I think that gives Iowa um, a pretty good chance to win. Yeah, you know, if you look at the stats, you know, Spencer Petras had negative 30 yards of rushing. So was it an offensive line problem, miscommunication, or was Spencer just not leaving the pocket fast enough? Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a bit of both. I think that the offensive line has not been great. I, I think that it's not a hot take or not. I don't think you will get much pushback from an Iowa fan if you told them that offensive line is the biggest question mark on the team. Um, it's a young group. There's a lot of guys playing either in their first year or playing in a new position for the first time. And it has been an issue. I think also you have to put a little bit of blame on Spencer. There are times where he holds the ball too long. Almost, It's almost like his mind wants his body to do something, but his body is not reacting fast enough, if that makes sense. Um, he's not a mobile quarterback, so if there is a lot of pressure on him. He's not. Um, that's not in his wheelhouse to get out of the pocket and extend plays. He's been a little bit better at avoiding sacks these last few weeks, um, but definitely in the first part of the season, holding the ball too long and, and poor protection definitely um, doomed his rushing stats. So let's talk about the receiving core a little bit. Uh, last year, I went to Iowa City for the Illinois-Iowa game. And Illinois was leading that game 10 nothing, and everything changed when Charlie Jones returned to kickoff for a touchdown, right? Well, Charlie Jones went to Purdue, and he's putting up very impressive stats there. You lose your number one guy, but what is the rest of the you know Iowa receiving core looking like this year? Granted, I don't know how many chances they've had to show off because Petrus hasn't had you know the best year so far. But how many you know great playmakers does Iowa have, and how's the receiving core looked? Yeah, the receiving core is a really interesting position because when Charlie decided to transfer at the end of spring, that left the team that left Iowa with five scholarship receivers at that time. They welcomed in a true freshman in the summer, but by the time it got to the first game, just by attrition in terms of injuries through fall camp, they only had one scholarship receiver active on the roster in the first two weeks of the season. So you're able to key in on Arlen Bruce, that's his name. You key in on him. And then the, the rest of your receiving core are preferred walk-ons. So they had to really adjust how they played. They're, they didn't go three wide receiver sets until maybe the third or fourth game of the season just because of um, the lack of bodies at their receiver position. They have gotten a little bit healthier. Arlen Bruce has been the constant number one. Brody Brecht, uh, a, a sophomore with promise, has played the last few weeks, so he's in the mix. Nico Ragaini is a, is a senior who's played the most games on Iowa's team. He's he's healthy. He broke his foot in fall camp and missed several games. So those are their top three right now. Those are the only three scholarship receivers that are healthy on the roster. So it's um it's a very small group. It's a group that they're trying to get more involved, but you also kind of have to temper that with conditioning. You're dealing with two players who are coming back from injury. So it's been a lot of tight end involvement these last few weeks, and it's, it's been very well for them. Um, those are, I feel like, Spencer's favorite targets of Sam Laporta, senior tight end who should go pretty high in the draft, and then Luke Lachey is a promising uh, sophomore as well. So it's a, it's a bit of a mixed bag. We're talking about potential pass-catching weapons, but um, I would probably center in on the tight ends as more of like the true threats in the passing game. Yeah, I have a question, kind of like an analogous situation. Like if Penn State was having a down year and they were going to play Maryland, who's having, you know, an up and coming year, you know, if you talk to Penn State fans, they would say, well, we're still going to beat Maryland. Well, it's kind of like Iowa, Illinois, like for yeah. Iowa standards, it's probably a little bit lower, but they still got that defense. You know, Illinois is having, you know, a better year. But when you talk to Iowa fans, you know, are they confident that, you know, they're going to knock off Illinois this week? 
Yeah, I think there I think there's some confidence there. I think that you kind of uh, spoke to something that I think that you could parallel to Iowa State and Iowa, the whole I'm not going to believe that this team is going to beat Iowa until they actually do it. You look at Iowa State, they lost, I believe, six years in a row. They're, even with the as bad as the offense was, nobody thought that Iowa was going to lose that game just because of the history that Iowa State did it. I think that there is similarities with this matchup that Illinois has been playing well, but I think that one thing that you could point to is Illinois' strength of schedule. They haven't exactly played a murder's row. And then you look at just the, the past history with, with Iowa – I think that the fans are fairly confident that they're going to win the game. But I think also in the back of their mind, there's that there's that feeling of, you know, if Iowa does lose this game, what is that going to signify for the rest of the season? But I would say that, um, you know, that the temperature of the fan base right now is, um, I mean, it's, it's pretty hot, but I wouldn't say it's, it's at its, at its peak yet. A loss on Saturday would definitely take it there. But I think for the most part, there's a, a confidence within the fan base. Of Iowa will find a way to win this game somehow. So what's giving Iowa the best chance to win is obviously their defense. It's been one of the best defenses in the country. Illinois has two, but Iowa's always stands out. So did you expect, you know, Iowa's defense to be this good coming into the year? And what have you liked most about the Hawkeye defense so far? Yeah, I think that I, I expected them to, to play well. I think that the biggest question marks were in the secondary where you lose three multi-year starters. Um, so I, I had questions about that. And then you you factor in that Justin Jacobs, a linebacker who was supposed to be um, a top 100 pick in the draft this year, is out for the season. And they lost him in the first game. And they've still been able to, to hit high numbers. I think that what I've been impressed with most is that they've really been able to, to rush the passer this year. For as good as Iowa's defense was last year, they were a middle of the pack pass rushing team last year. I believe they were seventh in the Big Ten in sacks, somewhere around there. So the fact that they've been able to get a lot more pressure this year with their front four, I think has taken this defense to another level. A name that I would watch is Lucas Van Ness, number 91. He plays on the interior. I believe he's in the top three in the nation in quarterback hurries. He had nine um, by himself against Rutgers a few weeks ago. I mean, he he's a menace. Joe Evans on the edge has been playing very well. So that, that's probably what I've been impressed with the most. And I think that, you know, on Saturday, it really is going to be kind of one of those defensive field position, low scoring type type of games. Uh, so you mentioned the pass rush for Iowa as their greatest strength on defense or what you've liked so far. If you look at Illinois quarterback Tommy DeVito, when he was at Syracuse, he was a great quarterback besides when he didn't have time to throw. He was sacked all the time and that really, you know, tampered his performance. So do you look at the pass rush on a guy like Tommy DeVito who is very good when he has time, but not so good under pressure is you know, something that could be the key difference in this game? Yeah, definitely. I mean, for, for me, I believe it, it definitely starts with stopping Chase Brown. You go back to the Michigan game, and the fact that Michigan was able to stay ahead of the sticks because they had so much success rushing the ball on first down allowed a lot, allowed for J.J. McCarthy to just play a little bit more uh, freely. I think that for Iowa, they're going to have to get Illinois into must-pass situations, and then they'll be able to kind of like send some pressure and get after DeVito. But, you know, to your point about the pass rush, Iowa only had one sack against Michigan. They only had three tackles for loss. There wasn't much penetration there. So they're going to have to put DeVito under pressure to, to force him into some mistakes. And when that happens, Iowa was able to turn people over, set their offense up on short fields, and that's really the the, the winning formula for, for Iowa going back to last year when they were ranked number two in the country. That's really how they did it. Um, the defense isn't forcing a lot of turnovers or even playing to a standard where they're forcing a lot of punts. That's when the team gets into serious trouble. You know, if, if you talk to Illinois fans down here, they're getting pretty cocky. I mean, they're, they're pretty confident. You know, after Wisconsin, they think they're going to finally beat Iowa, you know, get the full seats. But the one thing about Illinois 
Like if you look at the Indiana game, you know, they had four turnovers. And I'm not sure that's something you can predict, but like if Iowa forces turnovers, you know, the Hawkeyes are probably going to win this game, right? Yeah, I, I think so. Is Iowa is one of those teams where once they start to force turnovers, it feels like an avalanche. Uh, I go back to last year when they played Maryland on the road. I think a game very similar to, to the game that's going to be taking place this weekend where Maryland was 4-0. They were riding high. It was a nationally televised game. And when you're a program towards the bottom of the Big Ten trying to climb your way up, you look at a program like Iowa as a, as a program staple win. And I think that Illinois is in that type of situation. You you want to make a name for yourself in the Big Ten West. You're going to have to be programs like Iowa. So that game, Iowa 4-7 turnovers, that was the, the offense best game in, in the last two years. And I've just seen that, you know, several times. Iowa just, you know, either Tory Taylor pins a team deep and they get a safety or they're forcing a lot of pressure. They get turnovers. The offense gains a little bit of momentum and it just feels like it's um, – you know, like an avalanche, like I said. So turnover battle is going to be very key. Iowa hasn't had a turnover since the second game of the season. I'm not sure when Illinois' last turnover was, but um, I think whoever wins the turnover battle is probably going to be the, the team that wins the game. Is that something that you can predict, though, like counting on turnovers? Like when Illinois had Lovey Smith, yeah, sure, when they got five turnovers, they were going to win the game. But when they got no turnovers, Lovey Smith never won a game in Champaign. Like, are you confident that the Hawkeyes can, like, force a turnover? Or is it just kind of like, if it happens, it happens? Yeah, I'm fairly confident that they'll be able to force at least one turnover. That's just kind of what Iowa does. I mean, last year they led the nation in takeaways. They broke the school record in interceptions. And when you talk to the players, they say it's really a product of Phil Parker's system. The fact that he prepares them so well that they're just in the right place at the right time. So I feel confident that they can force a turnover, do I think they can force multiple turnovers? I think that, again, is, like you said, hard to predict, and I feel, like, pretty optimistic. I think that if you're Illinois' defense, you have to feel confident about your chances to force a turnover on Iowa's offense. Spencer Petras, in his last, you know, 10, 12 starts, has been a turnover machine. He hasn't thrown many touchdowns. Um, you know, they've been susceptible to, to putting the ball on the ground at, at times as well over, over the last two years or so, so. And I think that that both defenses might be able to, to force one. I think once you get into kind of like those that two, three, four mark, um, you know, to, to your point, that's when the game is going to get a little dicey. But um, to the original question, I think Iowa can force – they can force one, I feel like, for sure. All right, so what's the key? How many rushing yards can Chase Brown have? You know, what does what does Iowa need to limit it to? Under a, under 100. I think that to, to say – you know, I was averaging allowed, you know, 70 yards per game. I feel like that's pretty optimistic to say that you're going to hold him to that many yards. I feel like Illinois is going to defeat him the ball. If you can keep him under 100, if you can keep it under four yards per carry, I think that's about the the most that you can hope for if you're Iowa's defense. What about in the in the passing game for Illinois? If you look at stats, a lot of people would say that Pat Bryant has been Illinois' best receiver so far. He's a sophomore. That was unexpected. But Illinois does have a guy that they think is going to be in the NFL one day in Isaiah Williams. He's very shifty. He gets off the line super well, and he's a playmaker. Uh, he can get out in space, and he's really fast. Are you worried about a guy like Isaiah potentially beating that Iowa secondary and maybe getting out for a long touchdown run or pass? Yeah, it's, it, yes, def, that, that potential is definitely there. When you look at Iowa's defense – they prevent big plays because they always play two high safeties almost no matter what. And they can do that because typically the front seven is good enough to stop the run, even if they're um, a man short in their gap. So if they can keep Chase Brown in check, 
and then keep those two high safeties, then I feel like they'll, they'll be, um, you know, fortified against long touchdowns. And Chase Brown starts to get off, and we saw this in the Michigan game. Blake Corum started to get off. They had to bring a safety deep into the box, and now you're playing one high safety and man-to-man on the outside. And that's the type of thing that, that has Iowa's defensive coaches nervous. So a stats to run if you're Illinois. They're going to have to bring a safety down, and you're going to have man-to-man on the outside and one um, high safety. That's when I think that Illinois' re- receivers will be able to get out and potentially hurt them deep. So a couple more questions here before we ask you for a score prediction let you go. I, I just for a second want to ask you about the coaching situation in Iowa City right now because Phil Parker, the defensive coordinator, obviously doing a phenomenal job, but you cannot say the same about Brian Ferentz, who is obviously Kirk's son. Do you expect Brian to be gone after this year? If Kirk doesn't let him go, is the AD going to have to talk to Kirk about the situation? What's your, you know, read about what's going on, especially in the offensive coaching game in Iowa? Man, you're going right for the jugular. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's 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 such a crazy dynamic because you look at Brian Ferentz, who's been the offensive coordinator for several years. This isn't like a one-off, they had a bad year. I mean, several years he's been the offensive coordinator. They've been 100th or worse. Pretty much the entire time he's been the offensive coordinator, maybe they were you know, in top 100 once or twice. But for the majority, they, they've been one of the worst offenses in the country. And I think the, the interesting part about Brian is last year, that was when I think most people thought that there was going to be a change made. And Iowa's quarterback coach retired, and there was an opportunity for Kirk Ferris to go out and seek outside help to come in and help the offense. And he didn't do that. He actually promoted Brian from tight end excuse me, from tight ends coach and offensive coordinator to quarterbacks coach and offensive coordinator. So he essentially got a promotion. Then they hired a tight ends coach to fill that void. And the way that Kirk explained it was he was betting on the guys within the facility, um, to, to paraphrase. I think that that was about the end of the rope for Brian Ferentz going into to this year. The offense has been terrible. It's last in the country almost in every statistical category. Um, just my gut feeling, I don't expect him to, to be back. I don't know if Kirk would fire his son. I don't know. That might have to be something where the athletic director steps in, but I wouldn't rule out a scenario where Brian might step away um, on his own power to just kind of prevent that. It's been a messy situation. If Iowa's offense doesn't improve, it's only going to continue to get messier. If Iowa starts losing games down the stretch, the the temperature in the room is going to, to get a lot hotter than it is right now. And that's truly saying something, Get you know, looking at how hot it is right now. So I wouldn't expect him to be back next year. And, um, you know, me personally, I foresee major changes on the offensive side this offseason. I feel like they would have to miss a bowl game for him to get fired. Yeah. Like if they somehow win eight games because of the defense, I feel like Kirk's going to stay with the status quo. Like I feel yeah. like they have to go six and six, five and seven for maybe a couple of years. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. And it, that kind of brings up a, a, of a point that I've seen some fans talk about. And I even talked about a little bit last year in my coverage that obviously as a team, you want to win. But at what point is is winning an enemy of progress? Yep. Because last because last year, Iowa's defense was so good and they were so good at forcing turnovers that it really didn't matter how bad the offense was because they were just getting set up on short fields. And then a lot of times it allowed Kirk Ferentz to to say things and I'm not saying that he said this exactly but the vibe was pretty much you know everybody's talking about how bad the offense is yet here we are we were we went 10 and 2 we won the Big Ten West title these things tend to work themselves out it is going to take a situation to where it doesn't work out 
Maybe Iowa is going to have to go six and six. Maybe they are going to have to go five and seven. So to really um, drive home the point that that change is needed. And again, I'm looking at Saturday as the swing game one way or the other, either they're going to win. Maybe that that'll kind of propel them to contending for another big 10 West title. Maybe the offensive staff survives for another season or can go the other direction. And it's almost going to be inevitable that that change is going to have to be made. All right. So before we let you go, can we get a what you think score prediction for the uh, for the game on Saturday? Yeah. So when I did the the radio show with my co-writer, I actually picked Illinois to win twenty to thirteen. Um, to me, I just I'm just uh, I'm just not confident in Iowa's ability on offense to sustain drives um, and put points on the board. I think this is a game that Illinois they're going to get stops on defense. They're one of the best teams in the Big Ten in time of possession. That's a recipe for disaster against a team like Iowa. And I think that you know, in this swing game conversation that we've had, this is going to be the game that it finally swings in the opposite direction for Iowa. Um, and I think that their season could potentially kind of spiral out of control from here. Yeah, dude, that's my score. But like my reasoning, it's kind of like I see like a 50-50 game too. You know, I sound like a nerd, but it's like when you see a political poll and it says margin of error, like plus right. or like it can go either way. Like if Illinois throws two picks, you know, they're going to lose. Like if Iowa throws a couple picks, you know, I don't want to predict turnovers. I feel like it's difficult. I'm going to say Illinois plays clean, but yeah, if they don't, I could see the Hawkeyes coming into Illinois and taking the win. I, I truly feel like it's a 50-50 game. Yeah, I think that it's it's really interesting. And it, Brett Villema, him being the coach, and I think even him being on the sideline, because he wasn't on the sideline last year, he missed it for COVID. I think that he is really like a huge X factor in this game. When you think about programs – that are in situations like this. And you think about the Maryland game last year, or even Rutgers was in a very similar situation a few weeks ago against Iowa, where you have a team with a lot of momentum and they're kind of feeling themselves a little bit. And it's finally their moment to break through. And then they kind of like come out flat and they lay an egg. I feel like Brett Bielema is like too good of a coach to allow his team to kind of fall into that complacency. Like, I feel like he's going to have them focused. I feel like he's going to have them ready. And I feel like him being on the sideline and his experience and what he brings to the table is probably the biggest X factor in this game. Yeah, that was my point. Like in, in Brett's, you know, season and a half here so far at Illinois, there's been one and a half, maybe two blowouts. And other than that, Illinois has been competitive in every single game. He went to Iowa, obviously he was a walk-on there, did a ton for their program, but eventually I believe ended up as a captain there. So I think this game, like Wisconsin, means a lot to him. And I think he'll have the boys ready, which is why I have Illinois winning too. I've been saying 13-3 to all week, so I'm going to stick with it just because that's what I came out with. I think that it's going to be cold. It's going to be a battle in the trenches in the cold. And I I don't see many touchdowns. I think Illinois gets one in the second half, and that's where I get 13-3 from. If Iowa scores three points going into the bye week and Ohio State is next, it is going to be miserable out here. I mean, it is going to be miserable. And the crazy part about it is I don't think it's inconceivable that that happens. I mean, this this Illinois defense, they are stout. They're going to stack the line and they're going to really challenge this offensive line. I think that, um, you know, the fact that Iowa, if Iowa cannot run the ball, it is going to be a very, very, very long day for for the Hawkeyes so um and I'm not mad at either of those pr predictions I think that you know a loss obviously is going to you know send um the fan base into a bit of a frenzy but if it's a three-point output then I wouldn't be surprised if there were more conversations about a potential quarterback change going into the bye week yeah yeah Illinois has not given up a touchdown at home this year so just something of note we'll see if that that's uh, a good stat that's a good stat I'm gonna have to pull that one 
I'm gonna have to pull that one out uh this weekend on, on the covers. That's a that's a good one. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's all we got for you, Kennington. We really appreciate you coming on, man. That was awesome. Appreciate your time. Kennington Smith of the Des Moines Register. Appreciate it, man. Oh, yeah, for sure. Thank you for having me. Have good a good luck on Saturday. All right. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Kennington Smith providing some really good insight there. I really liked what he had to say. Based on the way he was talking, Carson, I thought he was going to say like 13 to 10 Iowa for his score prediction. Because I think, you know, he was saying, like, they need a swing game. Petrus is finally starting to get it together. They might be able to attack in the run game. But, no, he thinks Illinois is going to win as well. Yeah, you know, he had the same score, 20 to 13. Um, yeah, he's not that confident about the offense. But he does like the defense. Yeah. It's I hard think, not to like their defense. Yeah. It sounds like the X factor is that he trusts Brett Bielma to get yeah. the team ready. And you've said it on the podcast. He does have a track record at Illinois of getting us ready for games. So we'll see, you know, if Iowa forces a couple turnovers, you know, they can run the ball for 125 yards. It's a coin toss. So, you know, I don't really know what's going to happen. Yeah, no, I don't either. I think, you know, it could be as big a margin of victory as 20 points and as small as one point, right? Like I really have no way of, you know, trying to predict this game accurately but like what i'm seeing in the national media and iowa report is that a lot of people think illinois is going to win and like i said i mentioned this on alana drive on the radio yesterday i don't want the players to be too cocky because i know i've said brett gets them ready for games but if the players go into this thinking oh iowa has no offense we're going to cakewalk that is not a recipe for success no it's not but you know against wisconsin they were prepared i think they're going to be ready to play um, personally, and it's going to be huge to have fans there. I mean, if the fans, if the, excuse me, if the athletes walk out and they see empty seats, a bunch of empty seats, that's going to be, you know, a, a Debbie Downer. I, I'm expecting Illinois to bring some fans down. I expect people from the suburbs, you know, Champaign suburbs, you know, students are going to show up. This will be one of the most exciting atmospheres probably since Nebraska our freshman year. Well, Carson, that's something I wanted to bring up once we let Kennington uh, go, was that there's been so much focus from Josh Whitman, the athletic department, Brett Bielema, and the players to get fans in the seats. At some point, you've got to like you know start focusing on the game because even this morning, Josh Whitman was tweeting, still chance to get your tickets, we're doing this. And yeah. like, I, I, I get it. You, it's an orange out. It's a night game. It's primetime TV on Big Ten Network. You want to get, you know, as close to a sellout as you can since they haven't sold out since 2016 and Lovey Smith's first big home game against North Carolina. But at some point, just focus on it because imagine if they put this much pressure for there to be a big stadium and then the players go out there and there's like 40, 45,000 fans. And they're like, dang, no one cares about us. Then they're not motivated for the game. Like it, it's a scenario that probably won't happen. But my point is that there's been so much emphasis on this all week. Right. And we like, we, yeah, focus on the game here. It's Friday afternoon is we're recording this and people are still talking about it. I would say Brett Bielma, like yesterday, he was still making videos. Josh Whitman, go for it. You know, you're not coaching. You're not talking to players. Go advertise all you want. The football team needs to focus on the game because even if you have a sold out crowd, and you get your teeth kicked in by Iowa, 14 to three. I mean, we're kind of back. I, I can't say we're back to square one because Wisconsin was so big. But you're going to lose the fans for a little bit. And I think that's the big thing that Brett Bielma wants. Like next year, we want sold out games. You know you know what I mean? Like yeah. Northwestern comes into town, let's <clears throat> pack the house. You know, Nebraska comes into town, pack the house. So this is going to be big, you know, for Illinois. They got to win this game. I really think so. Um, you know, we both set our score predictions a little earlier, but 
my biggest key to the game for Illinois is going to be not turning the ball over, just like Wisconsin on offense. Like Tommy DeVito, oh. he's he's going to have a little bit more pressure on him than he's seen this year for sure. Iowa's got a good D-line, and though Illinois has had a good offensive line here so far, especially big shout-out to Alex Palczewski. He's playing the best football of his career so far. But Palcho can't stop the entire Iowa D-line, so if he has pressure on him, he's got to stay calm and at worst just throw it away because a turnover compared to a punt is one of the worst things that can happen. Yeah, and I know Iowa lost a lot in their secondary, but they've not been torn apart. I mean, J.J. McCarthy, pedestrian game statistically. I mean, 155 yards. Iowa State, seven points. You know, this Iowa defense is legit. So I think it will be difficult for Illinois to score points if Chase Brown gets stuffed. Yeah, it's going to be really hard. And then defensively for me, play a clean game. We both said this on the radio yesterday. Blitz. Uh, blitz. The I, I said last week with Wisconsin, I'm repeating myself from the radio, yeah. the linebackers had to be the key to the game. And after Calvin Hart got beat in the first quarter, they played a great game. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at the safeties now. Don't get ball hawk hungry. Don't go for those interceptions. Play your game, stay sound, and you're going to limit Iowa to very, very few passing yards, and that's your key to win. Yeah. No, yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's going to be important. Get pressure on the quarterback. That's what they did to Graham Mertz. And Graham Mertz was a scrambling quarterback, more so you know than a Spencer Petras. Like, Graham Mertz can make something out of nothing. Yeah. I feel like Spencer's going to be sitting there like a T. You know, this could be a really big game for the law firm of Randolph and Newton, you know, to really show up. I mean, Keith and Johnny are doing things that are exceeding everyone's expectations for a year. They have shot up NFL draft boards. They really have, especially Keith, man. In my opinion, if we're talking best player on the roster, I I think the conversation would be Keith, Chase, and Alex Pacheski. I would would say... Johnny's right behind there, too. Obviously, like, Chase Brown's huge. I mean, he's the leading rusher in college football. But if Illinois doesn't have that defensive line... They could have been down 17 nothing and out the bat to Virginia. For sure. Yeah. Indiana, is it as close? No. Like, Indiana might gash us, you know, gash the secondary. Wisconsin probably would have put up a couple more because we wouldn't have been stopping the run like that. Wisconsin's probably a toss-up. Like, this defensive line is probably the most valuable unit of this team so far. So, yeah, you know, this Hawkeye offensive line, it's not the worst, but it's not, you know, the vintage Kirk Ferentz offensive line. Mm -hmm. But uh, we're going to need a big day from the defensive line. And then I think Illinois would probably win. Yeah. I think 2013 sounds pretty good to me. But, again, anything can happen. You can't predict turnovers, but if you told me right now Illinois doesn't turn the ball over, I feel very, very good about Illinois' chances. I'd bet the house. Yeah. I would. I agree. Uh, it might, like like I said, Illinois doesn't necessarily have to, have to force a turnover because if they just keep pushing Iowa back, they might be yeah. okay. Because I mentioned this before, but – uh, in coverage, Illinois' defense plays a man-to-man defense where they are focused on the receiver, not the quarterback, which is why, theoretically, Illinois shouldn't be getting many interceptions against Wisconsin. You had two. One was a tip-up where Kendall Smith had a very nice read on the ball, and then the other, Taz Nicholson, basically got the ball thrown to him by Graham Mertz, which yeah. is, tells you everything you need to know about Graham. But don't necessarily need a ton of turnovers. I just want them to stay sound, force punts get good field position, and I like the Illini's chances. I really like 13-3. Dude, if Spencer has to throw third and nine consistently, I mean, you feel pretty good if you're yeah. Ryan Walters. Yeah. You feel very good. Yeah. All right. I think that'll do it for uh, this edition of the podcast. Huge shout-out to Kenton Smith. I thought he was great. I thought he oh, provided yeah. some awesome insight. Uh, you both have 20-13 to 13, Illinois victory. I have 13-3. to 3. 
for Illinois sake, let's hope it happens. Hope Memorial Stadium is filled out. We'll be back with a recap pod after the game. This has been the Daily Illini Sports Podcast. Thank you.